Hey everybody, Zach here. Before we get started with the podcast, I just want to let you know about our sponsor, Anchor. We're new to podcasting here at Salty Saints, and Anchor has made it so easy for us to get started. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, so let me explain a little bit about it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything that you need to make a podcast in one place. The best part about Anchor, though, is that it's absolutely free. So if you, like us, want to get your word out there, you want to try your hand at podcasting, make sure that you download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. My name is Zach, and I'm your host, and I am here with Randy Spate. Yet again, what's going on? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Good. Um, Today... We're going to be talking about where God breaks through. Biblically, we are given a lot of examples of this, and uh, we just kind of want to start a sort of break it down from beginning to end, uh, uh, I guess a summary of what that looks like, without a, hopefully without getting too sidetracked in between each of those things, which we could do very easily. <laughs> it would be very easy to chase rabbits uh, in this conversation. You are in my office the other day and, and uh, started talking about places where God breaks through, and I thought it was just absolutely fascinating. And where it all starts is actually in the Garden of Eden. Absolutely. Um, this is honestly one of my favorite uh, kind of themes throughout the Bible, I had my eyes opened to this thanks to the Bible Project, who did a video about the significance of trees biblically. And I just listened to their whole podcast on that and thought it was super interesting. So if you want to go into, like, deep detail on that sort of thing, check them out. They are worth uh, listening to. But basically, in the beginning, we see God makes Eden. He makes the earth He makes this beautiful place that he's very pleased with. It's good in his eyes. And then he makes a garden called Eden on the earth. He then makes man and he makes woman and he places them in this garden. And he says, hey, till this land, work this land, spread this, spread your influence across the world. Make this whole place beautiful. Take care of this garden. Right. Be, be my coworkers in this. This is my thing. I'm giving you domain over it. You have domain over these animals. Take care of all of this. And it's fascinating that in chapter 3, uh, Genesis chapter 3, God walks in the garden and cool when, day, right? when Adam hears him walking, he runs to meet him, you know, daddy. And uh, they spend time together walking in the garden. Right. And so I think what's really important to see here is Eden is clearly a place where heaven can connect with earth. It's a place where man can dwell in the presence of God. And we see other examples of this. For instance, like when they see the serpent, when they, when they speak to the serpent at the tree— they're not weirded out by the fact that, that this otherworldly figure is speaking to them, whatever it may be. I mean, we, we obviously know that's the devil. Um, but he would have been a heavenly being. 
and they're not scared of him. They're, they're just like, oh, here he is. <laughs> you know, like, um, So to me, it seems like this is a place where very uh, anything can happen. It's, it's, it's God's world meets our world, and that's what Eden seems to be. Um, something we can kind of note about Eden is Eden is at times described as being on a mountaintop. Um, for instance, we, we read Genesis and it tells us that the rivers flow from Eden. But then we can look at Ezekiel 28, 14, uh, way later in, in Scripture, where God is talking to the king of Tyre, which has some weird, significant ties to the way he's talking to Lucifer. It's, it's like he's really talking to Satan. Um, but he's talking about an anointed cherub, and that anointed cherub is the devil. And he's saying, you were on my holy mountain, and you walked among the stones of fire. And he's talking about Eden. He says you were in Eden just verses earlier. And so we're seeing here that God is actually referring to Eden as a mountaintop. I had never seen that before, Zach, but it's it's absolutely fascinating. You are right on spot there. Uh, Ezekiel twenty-eight twelve. he says, uh, 13, he says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. And then the very next verse, he says, you were on the holy mount of God and walked among the fiery stones. I had never heard of Eden as a mountain. Well, the reason that's so interesting, I mean, think of every mythological pantheon of gods you can. I mean, you can go back as far as the the Near Eastern religions, but you can even come as close as, like, the Greek gods living on Mount Olympus. Gods dwelled on mountains in the eyes of pagan cultures in the eyes of Near Eastern cultures. That's just where the gods dwelled. And so for God to live on top of a mountain with man is not a crazy concept. So the idea is not so much that other religions say their God lives on mountains, so Judaism is saying it too, as in fact God is portrayed as being on a mountaintop. So all of the other religions in the world, which come from men which had their source in Adam and Eve. Right. Remember God was on the mountaintop. Right. It's like a game so of telephone. So they put their gods on mountaintops. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, the old game uh, telephone. Right. It's like it's like the true event got translated so many times that eventually it's just a shadow of the truth, you know. Um, but but what we see though is once Adam and Eve are removed from the garden, well now now that relationship between God and man's been severed. And so God no longer dwells among his people. And so what we run into is that man now needs to have that connection mended somehow. And God promises that it will be fixed. He's going to make this right through the seed of a woman or of the woman, I should say. Right. And, um, and that that's how he's going to, to fix things. But that's so vague, you know, there in the beginning of the story. We don't quite understand what that means yet. Um, and so eventually we, we, we kind of agreed we weren't going to get into all the uh, the other places where God breaks through between uh, the main ones. Is that fair? Yeah, okay. yeah. We're just kind of looking at places. Okay. We talked a little bit about what's called theophanies, which literally is appearances of God. And uh, we we just started to list, and we came up with six or seven with without even having to think hard. Right. So we're not going to talk so much. Maybe 
that'll be a future uh, podcast. Maybe that'll be another episode. But for right now, we're going to talk about the places primarily. The, where the, the major ones. The, the major ones. Right. Right. And so the next big one is the tabernacle. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to kind of walk through that a little bit? Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Um, God tells Moses in the book of Exodus, so, okay, I want a house. And uh, you guys are going to be living in tents. So for the time being, I will live in a tent. And he, he actually gives Moses in great detail, almost 10 chapters of details, of what that house is to look like, its dimensions, what the uh, what the, what the walls are to be made of, even what the furniture is supposed to be, and just seven pieces of furniture in the house, and uh, then there's another ten chapters that says, and Moses made it, and it goes right back through all of the instructions. Uh, God said, make it this wide and, and this deep. And then 10 chapters later, it says, and Moses made it this wide and this deep. And he almost word for word repeats what took place earlier. God's instructions are now followed to the T. And I think the whole purpose of that is just to point out the fact that God, um, God's word is followed exactly. Right. Um, The other thing we run into with the tabernacle is the way it's set up, the furniture that it's adorned with, um, the the different types of minerals, uh, the the overall aesthetic of this tent is to give you the idea that you're standing in the Garden of Eden. All the furniture and and the lamp stands, it's... It's all these engraved leaves. Now, and I had never flowers. seen that before. Tell us a little bit more about that, Zach. Uh, so uh, it, I think the word is calyxes. Is that – let me look this up. That I'm not sure. Calyx. Uh, I do notice that that when uh, Moses began to make uh, the tabernacle, he didn't uh, – there was a workman who was uh, supposed to do that. It's the first person in the Bible that it said that he was full of the Spirit of God. So the first Spirit-filled person in the Bible is a furniture maker. That is fascinating to me. It wasn't even Aaron. It was uh, the fellow that made the furniture for the temple, for the tabernacle. Right. Um, So as we start to look into the different lampstands and the the, the almond-shaped bowls, uh, six, six branches coming off of candlesticks, uh, you you see the there, there's incense burning to give it this fragrant, beautiful smell. Uh, the mercy seat upon which God sits, which is the Ark of the Covenant, that's guarded by two cherubs, which is exactly what God placed at the entrance of Eden when he removed Adam and Eve. So there's this presence of these angelic beings guarding this place of God. Um, we read the uh, the land between the rivers where Eden was located was filled with gold, and so the tabernacles filled with gold. Uh, we see flower imagery. Uh, we see leaves. And all of this is supposed to point to the idea that you're standing in a garden. And so that's where God dwells with man. We, we see this common theme of God and man in these garden places. 
One of the things that uh, just never ceases to amaze me about the tabernacle is what happened at the dedication of the tabernacle. Now, Moses had ordered for all the furniture to be made. Everything was made. It was assembled. It was placed just like God had said. And the workmen were coming in and out, and they were putting everything there. And everything was just like it was supposed to be. Now, Moses had already seen uh, God face-to-face on Mount Sinai. Back when Moses was first called, he looked up on, the, on Mount Sinai and he saw a bush that appeared to be burning, but it wasn't burning. At least it wasn't burned up. So he thought, this is odd. I want to go and find out what's going on. He got close and he hears a voice that says, Moses. And little surprise, Moses says, yeah. And the voice says, take your shoes off your feet. This is holy ground. And that word holy comes back again and again and again. Now, Moses takes the sandals off his feet, and he has this conversation with God. And this pillar of fire that's surrounding this bush comes back again and again and again. Moses goes to Egypt with his brother Aaron, and together they ask the Pharaoh to let his people go. And he, of course, refuses until the Lord has performed ten distinct plagues in Egypt. Probably about a year's worth of plagues, just devastating Egypt's economy. Took out uh, the, the River Nile. It took out their crops. It took out their cattle. And the final thing that happened, it took out the firstborn of every family that was not protected by by blood. Then the pillar of fire at night and during the day, a column of smoke that came from the pillar of fire led Israel out of Egypt. And I know it didn't happen this way, but I love the Cecil B. DeMille's movie, The Ten Commandments, because I think it had to be something like that. Pharaoh's army comes ready to attack uh, uh, Israel, and the pillar of fire jumps up from in front of the camp and goes behind the camp, and it stands between Israel and Pharaoh's army. Then the Lord splits the sea. The Israelites walk across. Pharaoh's army comes behind, and then the Lord lets the waters come together, drowns all of Pharaoh's army. They get to Mount Sinai. Moses says, I'm going to go up on the mountain and I'm going to receive God's word for us. And he goes up there and he finds the pillar of fire. And this image that I have is Charlton Heston kind of cowering in the background as the pillar of fire is spinning around. And God says, have no other gods before me. And this fireball comes shooting out of the pillar of fire hits the mountainside, and in Hebrew, the words, no other gods appear. (laughs) And it's like that for all ten of the commandments. And every time there's this fireball that shoots out and just blasts the side of the mountain and the words appear. I don't know if it was like that. But you get a sense of this incredible, awesome power that's there. So Moses builds 
the tabernacle. And in Exodus chapter 40, they dedicate the tabernacle. And in verse 34, Zach, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In verse 35, Moses starts to go into the tabernacle. He apparently looks at Aaron and says, I'm going to go talk to my homie. Right, right. (laughs) And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's like God moves into his house. Moses tries to come in and God puts his hand over the door. Moses is pushing to walk in and he can't get in in because God is inside saying, when I open the door, you can come. Right. (laughs) From that point, the tabernacle is called in Hebrew, kadosh, the holy place. The holy place is where God breaks through. He breaks through in the tabernacle and it's called the holy place. But there's one spot inside the holy place, a cube at the very back that is called the holy of holies. It's the holiest place. And that's where God lives. That's where God's presence sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant. I also I find it super interesting that... Um, while I forget to mention this earlier, but while the lampstand in the tabernacle represents the tree of life, the the law is represented as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, beautiful! Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And, and then, where is God seated above the law? Right above the law, <laughs> because the the, 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 the tablets him. are inside the Ark of the Covenant. Exactly, it's beneath Him, and. Uh, and so just like man chose the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil over the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, now you see a representation of both of those things in the tabernacle. And just like you were saying with uh, God being seated inside the tabernacle, now, now it's the holy place. Now we see, wh- well, what does it take to go in. If Moses can't go in, now what do we, what has to happen now to go in? Do you want to get into that a little bit? I think it's important. Tell us what happens. Well, I mean, yeah. Let me just rattle off all of Leviticus. Right? <laughs> that's, and that's what happens. It's the sacrificial system. Exactly. And it's huge. I mean, there's so much that goes into this. You have to be clean now. You have to be holy to stand in the presence of a holy God. And a high priest has to make these sacrifices sacrifices day after day after day, not only for all the people, but for himself because he's human and he too is sinful. And so in order to maintain a right relationship with God, the Jews had to sacrifice all of these innocent animals in order to represent the death that has to take place because of sin. And so if they wanted to come in, not only did they have to be clean, but they also had to maintain the proper sacrifices in order to be right with God. So there's a sacrificial system. If you want to come into my presence, your sin has to be dealt with. Exactly. 
the day came that the tabernacle was actually uh, collapsed. And uh, Solomon, David, wanted to build a temple. God said, not you, David. Your hands are too bloody. Your son will build the temple. And Solomon creates this magnificent building. It is immense. It's huge. About a quarter of the area of the city of Jerusalem is the temple complex. Just imagine 25% of the city of Indianapolis being one single church. (laughs) And I think we should remember that for later, too. Uh, How big of a space that is, or how big we think that space is. That's right. That's (laughs) right. That's going to come back. But the tabernacle, they took the tabernacle, they, they collapsed it, they stored it, and they put it inside the temple. They used the furniture that uh, Aholiab and uh, Benadab uh, were the two men who, who created that furniture. That furniture lasts for over four centuries. I mean, Must these have been guys, made pretty well. These guys knew what they were doing. <laughs> but when you come to the dedication of the temple, 1 Kings chapter 8, this time the priests start inside the temple and in the holy place. They take the ark of the covenant to the holy place. They put it in its place. And in 1 Kings 8, chapter uh, verse 10, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the temple. So at the end of Exodus, Moses tries to go in the tabernacle. He can't. So they start inside the temple in 1 Kings 8. God's presence comes down, and they're just awestruck. They just stand there like zombies. They can't move. They can't do anything until God says, okay, you can move again. (laughs) And then they do again. This is the kadosh. This is the holy place, the holiest place. This is where God breaks through. Again, we see that awesome power that's there in the in the pillar fire and the column of smoke during the day. Which this is this is not. You, you keep referencing the pillar of fire and the column of smoke. Um, this is not connected to any of the things we're going to touch on today, but when God makes his initial covenant with Abraham, when he walks the blood sacrifice, when, when Abraham lays out the row of the, of the animals that have been split in two, you know, God appears as a smoking kettle and a, what, a raging furnace, you know? Yes. And so I see that same image, that, that smoke and that fire, that, that, that is how God came down and walked among and uh, these animals, and made his pact with uh, Abraham in the first place. Um, so at the, the day comes that the temple is destroyed. Uh, Babylon comes in, and one of the things they do is they take all of the uh, gold from the temple. Uh, they take all the furniture, and the furniture really kind of disappears. We're not sure exactly where all of it Certainly, despite what Indiana Jones tells us, we don't know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. Some of the other furniture may have returned. It went to Babylon for a while, but um, Israel gets to return. 
And when they return, they rebuild the city. And one of the things that they do is they rebuild the tabernacle. This is now, uh, or they rebuild the temple. This is now the temple of Zerubbabel. And uh, the temple of Zerubbabel was much, much smaller than uh Solomon's temple was. It was more like a house. It was not big at all. Uh, In fact, um, they were kind of discouraged. According to the books of Haggai and uh, Zechariah, uh, they were a little discouraged that those who could remember that Solomon's temple were disappointed that this temple was not nearly as big. It's interesting that when the temple is dedicated, they make the same sacrifices, not the quantity, but the same type of sacrifices that Solomon made. There is no reference to God inhabiting that temple. He never never refills it. He never refilled it. And it's also interesting that at that point, Zerubbabel's temple is never called a kadosh. It's never called a holy place. It is always referred to as a temple, Hmm. just a temple. The vocabulary goes away because God has not inhabited that place. Now, one of the reasons that God doesn't inhabit that place, you uh, find in Ezekiel chapter 10, since we were talking about Ezekiel before, In Ezekiel chapter 10, this is one of the chapters that uh, Jews would not allow their children to read until they had turned 18 years old because they wanted them to be an adult before they had to try to explain it. But in the vision that Ezekiel has in Babylon, he sees the temple. Now, the temple had been destroyed, but Ezekiel sees the temple in Jerusalem And wheels within wheels, this thing that occurs in the first several chapters of the book of Ezekiel, uh, four faces on the creatures that guide the wheels, a domesticated animal, a wild animal, an eagle, a bird of the air, and man. They come, they sit at the temple gate, and God's presence, the pillar of fire, moves from the Holy of Holies, fills the temple, passes the courtyard, climbs into whatever it is that these four creatures is driving, and it leaves. It ascends into heaven. And Ezekiel is there is watching as God's presence departs from the temple. So when Zerubbabel dedicates his temple... God's presence doesn't fill it. And the vocabulary goes away. It's no longer a kadosh. It's no longer a holy place. It's no longer the place where God breaks through to man. It's a good place. It's a nice place. It's a place you can go to hear about God. But it's not where God lives anymore. And how depressing from, from the modern Jewish standpoint, if you were to read that, and you were to see it in that way, that God had departed from the temple, and he never came back to it. That God is no longer among the Jews from that perspective. 
That's right. I that's, mean, that's that's depressing. That's yeah, yeah. And that's why they wouldn't let their children read that passage because a child approaches Scripture with simplicity and says, well, that must be the way it is. So tell me, Daddy, why is it that way? They didn't want to answer that question. They wanted to wait until the, uh, the kid was now an adult and kind of confirmed as a good Jew. They knew not to ask that question. Oh, man. <laughs> and so after the temple... After after this, what, Here's what do we where the see? Beautiful thing comes in. So, the next time God breaks through is in the incarnation, and that's the the way it's described in each one of the gospels is just fascinating. In Matthew, it's described from Joseph's standpoint. From Joseph's standpoint, he has a wife who all of a sudden is pregnant. He's engaged to be married, and his girlfriend shows up pregnant. So he decides, okay, i got to cut her loose. She's been unfaithful. He decided to divorce her, and an angel appears to him and says, don't divorce her. Take her. Because what is in her is a result of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come upon her. Now, in the book of Luke, it's even more compelling. In the book of Luke, it's from Mary's point of view. And the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, announces himself by name. I'm Gabriel. I am God's messenger. And I'm here to tell you, God has a special task for you. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will bear a child. That verb that's used for come upon you is only used in one other case in the New Testament, and that's on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Peter, James, and John are there with Jesus, and they see Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah, and in the book of Luke, it says very, very clearly that they were talking to him about his departure to Jerusalem. They were talking to him about the crucifixion, about what was coming in Jerusalem. And I can imagine Moses, the giver of the law, and Elijah, the first one of the prophets, coming to Jesus and saying, is it now? Is it now? And Jesus says, yes, this is the time. We're going to Jerusalem. And explaining to them everything that would be happened. Then they hear a voice. And the voice is God speaking, saying, this is my son. I am happy with what he does. And then a cloud comes and envelops them. That's the word that's used when the Holy Spirit came over Mary. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is what's portrayed there. Mary carries God in her womb. God breaks through in the incarnation. Twelve men had a, had, a, had a chance to walk with God here on earth, just like Adam walked with God in the Garden of Eden. They were with him 24-7. They, they knew what kind of food he preferred, and if he liked it spicy or bland. (laughs) They knew his sense of humor and what would get him to giggle and what would make him angry. 
They were with him 24-7. They they were with God. God broke through. And we need to keep in mind these weren't clean men. These weren't perfect men. These weren't holy men. Oh, my goodness. These were messed up dudes. These were were just people. The more I read Scripture, I'm listening through the Bible here uh, again, and I just got through the book of Genesis. These were dysfunctional people. I mean, they would be locked away in an, ins- in an asylum today, uh, at, at least be in heavy therapy. But God used them. God broke through to them. God walked with them, and he loved them. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is crucified. Jesus is buried. All of the disciples are now in ex- Extreme disappointment. They are now in depression, and Jesus appears to him again. Peter says, Okay, now are you going to restore the kingdom? <laughs> and Jesus kind of smacks his palm against his head and says, Oh man, how long do I have to be with you guys? No, this is not when I restore the kingdom. That kingdom is here because I am here. He ascends to heaven. He tells the disciples, wait. Just wait. Go back to Jerusalem. Pray and wait. And ten days later, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It filled the house where they were sitting, And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, or if you would, tiny little pillars of fire that came to rest on each one of them. Every single person who was there that was in a relationship with Jesus had a pillar of fire rest on his head. And I tell you, Zach, they knew exactly what was going on. This is the pillar of fire that comes in the Old Testament. This is the pillar of fire that separates Egypt from Israel. This is the pillar of fire that leads them through the desert. This is the pillar of fire that inhabits the tabernacle and the temple and doesn't let anybody in. Until he says it's okay. And then the vocabulary returns. Because what is the favored term for a Christian in the New Testament? The believer. The saint. Oh, the saint. Okay. The holy one. Oh, okay. Why? Because God indwells us. He is here inside of us. Where does God break through today? He breaks through in you, Zach. He breaks through in me. That's uh, that's the name of this podcast for a reason, right? (laughs) That's absolutely right, where God breaks through. God indwells us, and he wants to fill the earth, but he's going to do it through you. Right. He's going to do it through me, through everybody who has that relationship with the Lord Jesus? Well, up until this point, we've, we, you know, in the beginning, we see Eden. Eden is this place of dwelling. Eden is this place where God dwells with man. It's it's a small little bubble of of space. 
where man and God dwell together. But then we see the tabernacle. Then it's a tent. It's this tiny little place where man can come to God if he's holy, if he's made a sacrifice, right? But then you see Christ come – or sorry, then you have the temple. Same thing. It's just Same a more thing. permanent spot. That's right. But then you see Christ come. And in John, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That it literally was, says he tabernacled, he tabernacled among exactly. us. Exactly. And so Christ was the tabernacle. That's and so right. he invited people to come into him. But then what happens when you come into Christ is he comes into you with, it, with the tongue of fire, with the, the pillar of fire. And we no longer have to go to make a sacrifice because he is the sacrifice as well. He's the high priest. And what did he do? I heard this on uh, the Spoken Gospel uh, podcast recently they made a beautiful claim they said what happened to the priests day and night the priest worked day and night the priests would make sacrifices day after day after day the work was never done but what does jesus do once he returns to the father he sits down at his right hand because the work's done he's done it it's oh, done beautiful. there's no more work to be done it's done there's and no more need for a new sacrifice exactly. because he was it he was the final sacrifice and so then We see this final movement, exactly like you said, that now Christ, God, Yahweh, he lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And so if each of those places was a spot where heaven and earth connected, now each of us is a place where people can encounter heaven, where people can encounter God through their interaction with you. With anybody listening to this podcast that believes in Jesus Christ, that has the Holy Spirit, that anytime someone interacts with you, they are coming in direct contact with God. And so we are to live in a way that shows people that and shows people the life that gets breathed into us through God. That's a beautiful, beautiful example of just this whole movement throughout Scripture. And it doesn't end here. There's one more place where God breaks through. That's right. Are we talking about Revelation? Yes, we are. Okay. This one I think is super cool. Um, do you have the verse pulled up on that? I can. I'm looking it. for it. Okay. Um, Go ahead and explain uh, the, the, the concept. What we've seen through this whole time, um, you know, originally Eden sort of makes its movement into the tabernacle. We see all that imagery uh, of Eden in the tabernacle. Then that imagery, all that furniture, all, all of these Eden images get moved into the temple. Then the temple moves to Jesus. Um, and, and sorry, the, the, the real important thing to remember here is, is what did the Holy of Holies look like? What was the Holy of Holies within the tabernacle and within the temple? It it's, was a cube. It's a cube. And so did you find it? Uh, in Revelation, there's a point. When heaven comes down to earth, the new heaven and the new earth, they converge. But the way that heaven is described coming down to earth is it's give, it gives dimensions. And the dimensions given are so huge, they would engulf the earth. They, they could never just fit on the earth. They're too big. And so what we see is this cube comes down and engulfs earth. It covers the whole thing. And so if you remember back to the original idea, it's God telling Adam and Eve, take take Eden and spread it over the earth. But then in the completion, in the new heaven and the new earth, heaven engulfs the entirety of earth. The holy of holies becomes earth. That's amazing. 
That's amazing. Its its dimensions are almost unimaginable. I'm going to look it up. Uh, dimensions. I think you're looking for Revelation 21:19. It says uh, he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. I'm not sure exactly. Um, let's see. Uh, my footnote here says this is about. 1,400 miles. <laughs> there you go. So for a 1,400-mile cube. And the, the reason we know it's a cube as well is uh, Revelation 21.16 says, The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. <laughs> Where God breaks through? Right. And, and that that's the beautiful thing. We talk about heaven. We talk about, you know, we, we can't wait to be in heaven with God. But, I mean, when you read this, God wants to be with you, that, that heaven and earth are going to converge, that, that heaven and earth are, are almost going to be one thing in the way things end up. I think that is so much more beautiful than to think we're going to get swept out of here and we're going to go to this foreign new land. No, it's God made a beautiful, perfect place. Maybe not perfect, but good in the beginning. And we ruined it. And the whole story of the Bible is him fixing it and saying, I'm, going to re- I'm not only going to restore your relationship to me, but I'm going to fix this broken place that you've messed up. I'm going to make it right again. And this is going to be a place where you and me can be together. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> You got anything else, man? The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. So the only thing I have to add is come. <laughs> and you know what? There's there's one more thing to say. You know, up until this point, there's this presence of this idea of a tree of life and the law. But what happens in the new creation is there is only a tree of life. There is no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There is only the tree of life presence. present. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow. There's no more sin. No it's, more evil. There's no more evil. It's just good. It's just man and God the way it was always intended to be. Want that fruit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hook me up with that. Yeah. So, guys, uh, we hope that this is, uh, this is something you will think about. Uh, don't take our word for it. Read it yourself. That's what you're supposed to do, right? That's right. <laughs> um, we hope that you uh, will continue to support this podcast. Um, we have really been terrible about asking for your guys' feedback on things, but make sure to leave a like or, or you know give us a rating. Leave us a comment on the uh, the, the Apple podcast. I think is the one you can do that through. Um, I don't think you can do that through Spotify, but make sure to uh, to leave us a comment. Tell us what you think of things. Give us a rating. That helps us to further this ministry. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Exactly. We would love to cover the things that you guys want to hear about. And, uh, yeah, so thank you guys so much for your continued support, and we hope that you stay salty. Often we believe our questions mean we don't have faith, but I believe Jesus loves our questions. Our questions are windows into heaven. I'm Caden Fabrizio, and on the Questions with Caden podcast, we ask and answer one question per episode as relevantly and biblically as possible. Questions about fear, anxiety, depression, 
addiction, and so much more. Don't worry. Your questions, they're not going to scare Jesus. So ask away. Listen and subscribe now at lifeaudio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.